you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Observations of those who've been with Jesus is the title of the message. Observations of those who've been with Jesus. Several years ago, I came across a quote uh, from a pastor in Chicago area who made this comment. He said, think what a local church would be like if its people were radically devoted to Christ, irrevocably committed to each other, and relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside God's family with the gospel of Christ. It would be a church against which the gates of hell would not prevail. Let me say it one more time. Think what a church would be like. I realize there are no perfect churches. Ours is no exception. We have our flaws and our weaknesses, things that we could do better, things that we could improve on. But think what a church would be like if its people, first of all, were radically devoted to Christ. What would that look like? If everyone who walked through the doors of the church were just committed to following Jesus in every aspect of life, what would that look like? I think it might look a little bit different than what we see. Because, number one, the church is the people, right? It's, you know, if people were committed, the church would look different. Number two, irrevocably committed to each other. I mean, there's no more biases, no more prejudices, no more I don't like that person or this person because they did this or did that or said this or said that, but we're just committed to each other. We accept each other's flaws because that's what we are. We're flawed people. And, well, you don't kick out your you know, daughter at four years old because she screams too much. We learn to live with the flaws, right? We learn to accept each other as they are for who they are because God made this family. And in 1 Corinthians 3, we talk about the idea of God putting everyone into the body as he sees fit to put them in. And so if we would just irrevocably just commit ourselves to saying, I will help and support and encourage and love and be a picture of Jesus to everyone inside the church body, what might that look like? How might the local church be different if we didn't have all these... uh, Strings attached to relationships, the, the, the frustrations and, well, I just don't like their personality. And I, What might look different? And then number three, relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside God's family with the gospel of Christ. If we have any appreciation, any gratitude, any thankfulness, any hope of heaven within us, we should want that for other people, Right? If we know Jesus and we have the hope of heaven within us, we should want that for other people. But for too many of us, we're just kind of content with, eh, that's just the way it is. I know them, they don't. Yeah, I feel bad, but you know, that's just the way it is. You say, well, I never say that. No, we don't say that, but that's kind of how we practically live. Because we don't do anything to change the outcome of those that we know aren't going to Christ, going to heaven through Christ. So a question came to my mind, and I've been thinking a lot about our Fill the Field event, August 1st through the 6th. For many of us, it's an opportunity to invite our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our relatives, our enemies, to hear stories of how God changes lives. And if we've seen God change our life and give us hope of heaven, we should want that for other people. But the question came to my mind, several questions. Number one, why would anyone want to go to church? I mean... I mean, you can sleep in on Sunday. I mean, I'm tired, man. I came back. Last night, I was up way too late. Anybody else? I mean, I'll tell you what. I enjoyed it every minute of it, but I'm telling you, Sunday morning comes every week. Every week you wake up, it's there. 
and you're going to come in here, and as I say often, I get so tired, I'm just exhausted. I went to bed at 12.15, set my alarm for 5. At 4 o'clock, my shoulders started irritating me, so I just kind of got up, took an ibuprofen, went back to bed for what seemed like 10 seconds, and the alarm went off at 5. I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I could just sleep in. No, because you're the preacher. you got to go. What about everyone else? I mean, yeah, I mean, what, but, but, but if you're not part of a church family, why? Why? Why, why would they want to come? Why would anyone want to be a Christian? I mean, because I, I tell you where I grew up, a lot of times Christians were the worst people I knew. Truth. Some of you can understand that Christians are jerks. As Mark Lowry said, they may not be right, but they ain't never in doubt. <laughs> the reality is, man, they're some of the meanest people I know. Judgmental, critical. I invite you to Jesus. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've all seen it. Why would anybody want to be a Christian? Well, thankfully, there are some who actually do live it out. Number three, do we live with a sense of urgency for the lost? I mean, do we even care that other people are not going to go to heaven when they die? Do we care? Seriously, you should ask yourself that question. Do you care? Do you even care that some people are going to die? You know, every day people die that didn't anticipate dying. Every day all around the world people get in accidents. People die of sicknesses and illnesses and cancers. Every day someone gets shot that didn't intend to get shot. Every day people die that didn't wake up that morning and say, Whew, I think it's a good day to die. Happens every day throughout the day. And on top of that, we as believers don't know when Christ is going to come. Do we even care? Do we live with that sense of urgency? Another question that came to my mind in reference to all this was, your story. When's the last time someone heard your story? Your story. I mean, I'm talking about just how Jesus changed your life. If Jesus has changed your life, you do have a story. You, you understand that, right? You have a story. You know, I've said for many years, God, there's kind of two sides to a coin. On one side, God saves some people out of some things, and he saves, on the other side, some people from some things. You know, I was a little kid. I mean, I, I grew up on a bus ride. I was a snotty-nosed bus kid. Every week I had to get on the bus and go to church, and later through the church, you know, our whole family was led to the Lord. But I was that little kid, and you know, at five years old, I wasn't into pornography and immorality and drugs and alcohol and sex. and not, never, never crossed my path at five years old. Isn't that amazing? God spared me from those things, right? Amen. But it's no less a miracle than someone who has been in drugs and alcohol and, and immorality and God saves them out of those things. The miracle is that God saves. And if He saved you, you've got a story that somebody needs to hear, that somebody can relate to, that somebody will think about it and, and apply it to their lives and say, you know what, that's me. I don't know who that person may be, but if you know Jesus, you have a story that somebody needs to hear and respond to it. Another question came to my mind is, do we live what we believe? Or is that just kind of something we don't talk about, like politics? I mean, come into church, we don't mention who's a Democrat, who's a liberal, who's a you know, socialist, who's a, what a progressive. Or We don't want to get into that because you know you're going to take somebody off. Yep, somebody's going to be upset. Well, we don't talk about religion either. Well, I hope you don't talk about religion because religion doesn't save anybody. 
A relationship with Jesus does, right? But some of us are content to just not talk about it. Because we don't want to be that person that the other person looks down on because they're religious. But do we even talk about it? Do we live out what we say is in our hearts? Are we ashamed of it? Or are we willing to stand up for it? Because it's true and it's real. If you believe the Bible at all. So I'm just thinking about all these things as my mind's been going in a million different directions in preparation for our Fill the Field event. It's an opportunity. We say in church language, it's our testimony. It's how God worked in my life. But to a lost world, it's a story of how God changed their life. What about your story? Are you willing to share your story and invite someone? You know, as we look at this text of Scripture, we see some amazing points that all of us should consider. Every one of us in this auditorium this morning ought to consider the story that's taken place in Acts chapter 4. What had taken place was the buzz of the town, and everybody was talking about it, without exception. The healing of a lame man had captured everybody's attention. And one thing is really certain. There's lots of unrest. Let me ask you a question. Do we live in a day of unrest, yes or no? All around us. But the buzz and the unrest was caused by something that took place. But nonetheless, it was everywhere. In fact, let me just read. I'm not going to spend our time in the first ten verses. But let me read it so you understand what's taking place. Acts chapter 4, you can follow along in your translation, whatever it is. In, in Acts chapter 4, beginning verse 1, it says, Now as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up, came up to them, being greatly agitated because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is going about the town. He's doing something great. Everybody's, you know, seeing what's happening, and everybody's, you know, those who are not followers of Jesus, they're ticked off. They're agitated. They're upset. They're frustrated because this talk of Jesus is going forward. Verse 3 says, and they laid hands on them, talking about Peter and Paul, put them in jail, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter and John, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Can you imagine just showing up in one week after God does this miracle, and all of a sudden 5,000 people come to know Jesus? Can you imagine? I, I, I hear pastors talking about, man, I wish my church would grow. I wish this church would get bigger. I wish You wouldn't even know what to do if all of a sudden 5,000 people came in the doors. We wouldn't know how to handle it. But can you imagine that Jesus is doing these, you know, here doing these miracles, and all of a sudden 5,000 people put their trust in Jesus? That's what's happening. Because they are seeing Jesus do something here. Verse 5, now it happened that on the next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly descent, you know, the religious clout of the day. And when they had placed them in their midst, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name you done, you, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today for a good deed done to a sick man, as to how this man has been saved from his sickness, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which has rejected by you, the builders, but which, by, but which became the chief cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This has created no small buzz. Because one man was healed, everyone begins to believe the town is getting torn upside down and there is nothing but unrest because of what Jesus had just done. So many things come to my mind when I think about that. I think of when Jesus is saying, if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all men to myself. And so many people are so worried about lifting themselves up. If they worry about lifting Jesus up, Jesus might just show up and do something. Wow. So in this next text of Scripture here, verses 13 and following, there are several observations I just want to draw your attention to. In fact, there are at least seven of them, and I, I shared some of this about seven or six years ago, something like that. And I was looking through this, and I thought, wow, this is still relevant today. Verse 13 it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and comprehended that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And remember, this title of the message this morning is Observations of Those Who Had Been With Jesus. So here's the first observation, and it's this. They had confidence. As they spent time with Jesus, as they observed what Jesus was doing, there was a sense of confidence in what God told them to do. They knew that they could do it because they had seen Jesus. Peter and John stood before the rulers, the scribes, the elders, and uh, the if you want to call it the temple police, the temple security guards, and uh, the Sadducees, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, and spoke with a holy boldness and confronted them concerning their actions against Jesus Christ. They had confidence in Jesus, and that confidence resulted in boldness to do whatever He asked them to do. I think about this. I wonder why we as a church, and I'm talking about generally speaking churches across the United States, why are we so timid about our faith? Why are we so afraid to speak of it? Why is it that we're so concerned with how, how others might respond or what they might think of us if we just talk about Jesus? Why is that? I hope that the older I get, the more bolder I get because I have been with Jesus. Because I've seen Jesus do enough things in my life. I've experienced enough time with God that he, to know that He's faithful, that He's going to take care of me, that I become even more bold and more confident in my relationship with Him. You know, the Sanhedrin consisted of about 70 members, uh, mostly Sadducees from high priestly families. Some of them were Pharisees. They were typically men of clout. They were people about the city who were in the villages who had some type of position or power. Their opinions carried weight in the eyes of the people. But they didn't like something. They didn't like that Jesus was at work. They didn't like that Jesus was healing people. They didn't like that Jesus was gathering a following. And they were doing everything in their bout and within their might to stop what Jesus was doing. But Peter and John boldly proclaimed the true salvation was only in Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 12. No other name given among men whereby you must be saved. The have, have, just because of the fact that they were with Jesus and witnessing what Jesus was doing gave them confidence. And I have to believe that when if, if we are spending time, time with Jesus, we'll have all the confidence we need. Think about this. Do we have the ability to be with Jesus? Yes or no? Every single day of our lives, we have the opportunity to talk with Jesus. Jesus has the opportunity to talk with us. We have the opportunity to pray and to communicate with Him, to read His Word. We have the opportunity to be with Jesus. And if we would take the time to do that, what might be different? We might have more confidence. We might have more boldness to speak more freely and confidently if we would spend more time with Jesus. 
As they were out in public, there's unrest. But it didn't stop them from doing what they needed to do. Peter and John boldly proclaimed that true salvation was only in Jesus Christ. That was the first observation, confidence. Second observation is also in verse 13. It says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, here's the second thing, comprehended that they were uneducated and ordinary men. I mean, think about that. They were uneducated. In other words, concerning the rabbinical culture that... You know, the rabbinical culture, the, the priestly line, they're mostly of the tribe of, uh, of, of uh, Levi, but they, they weren't part of that culture. They weren't part of the priestly line. They weren't part of those who were, who were part of that religious group. So as far as the Sanhedrin was concerned, as far as the Pharisees and the Sadducees were concerned, they were uneducated. By that standard, how many of us in this room would be uneducated people? Two hands and a foot, I'm up, got to stand on one. Uneducated. Not only that, untrained or ordinary, which means untrained. They were not classically or formally trained in Jewish law. They held no public or professional opinion. They were just common. That sounds so trite, doesn't it? They're just common. You know what that tells me? They were just everyday people. How many of us would just consider ourselves common? everyday people then you're no different than Peter and John everyday people just going about life doing your thing observing what Jesus is doing and then getting boldness from it they had no credentials that gave them any clout they were just ordinary men ordinary people and if God can use ordinary people like Peter and John I think God can use ordinary people like you and I. There's a third point, also from verse 13. A third observation. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I'm going to come back to that point at the end. They had been with Jesus. So the fourth observation is verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, They had nothing to say in reply. The fourth observation is that they were speechless. In fact, not only did they have nothing to say about it, they didn't know what to say about it. It wasn't just that they were speechless. They didn't know what to say. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says here, it says, But when they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin... They began to confer with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy sign has happened through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I mean, so here they are. Peter and John had just observed this. This man had been healed. Jesus was there. And and, and the Sanhedrin, they want him to go away. They they don't know what to say, but they don't know what... they, They have nothing to say about it. They're just speechless. They don't know how to respond. So they began to with each other and they're trying to confer with each other what do you think i don't know what do you think i, I don't know he really isn't anything wrong but I, 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 they don't know what to say all they know is that a miracle has taken place and they don't know how to respond to it in fact because they don't know what to say and they don't know how to respond look at verse 17 
But lest it spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. What name? The name of Jesus. Because remember, verse 12, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So in this reality here, they're trying to say, we don't know what to say. We don't want you to say anything. You just need to stop talking about it. Just don't talk about it anymore. Well, how is that going to work? 5,000 people just came to know Jesus. You don't think 5,000 people are going to be talking? You don't think 5,000 people are going to be, you know, throughout the village with their family and friends and, and relatives and co-workers and everybody that they mingle with every day? Of course they are. But the Sanhedrin doesn't know what to say, so they say, don't say anything. Do not mention this man named Jesus anymore. Don't talk about him. Oh, that works. And when they realize that they can't silence them, look at verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They tried to just shut their mouths and just stifle them so they could not tell anybody about anything that has taken place. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hear you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they can't shut them up, verse 21, And when they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. They threatened them. You know what's sad in our day and age that we live? Is that we're not under threat for opening our mouths. I don't know anyone in this room or anyone there, my close friends, who have had a gun to their head, have had a knife to their chest, who have been threatened with job loss or anything if they just don't shut up about Jesus. We have freedom. And yet we don't say much. I'm guilty. Anyone else? Let's be honest. I'm guilty. Sometimes I'm just too big a hurry. Sometimes I just don't want to take the time. I got a to-do list. I mean, you got, you, you know, God understands. You got a to-do list, right? It's got to get done. He's really ultimately concerned about how much I get done in a day, so he understands. We don't open our mouths even though we have the freedom to do so. That's convicting to me. They're standing before people who can put their lives or take their lives and put them in jail, which is what they tried to do at first. We have freedom and we don't use it. So they tried to silence Peter and John. Then they threatened Peter and John. But what they came to the realization in verse 14, it says they can't deny the healing of the man. And this man was not a child anymore. He was more than 40 years old. So what that tells us is that he was a credible adult. It wasn't like he was just some kid who was sitting here on the doorstep one day and gone the next. He was known in his community. He was an adult. People knew him. It was real. Let me just say this. When God does something in our lives, it's real. And we ought to rejoice in that. We ought to talk about that. So the fourth observation is that they were speechless. Number five. We see this in verses 19 and 20. It says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hear you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
The fifth point was there was a commitment to continue speaking. There was a commitment. They weren't going to be threatened. They weren't going to give in to what the political mob wanted them to do or don't do. They were willing to be committed to sharing the gospel. They were committed to walking in obedience. Let me ask you a question. What stops you from or hinders you from walking in obedience? Think about it. What is it that hinders us? We can come up with a host of excuses, right? I'm good at it. I'm, I'm really good at it. I can come up with a million excuses. Maybe you can too, but I'm really good at it. i got years of experience. But I'm afraid oftentimes it doesn't take much. And I love what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, just over a page. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter again. He says, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. There is a time, and we are all going to face it, that it's going to be more important to obey God. It's always more important, but we need to obey God rather than man. We're living in a day where (laughs) this is going to be becoming very much a reality. Who are you going to give in to? What's What's it going to take to stop you? What's it going to take to just say, I give up? I give in. Whatever you want. I quit. I hope that we'll stand firm in what God says. To stand in what we know is true. What we know is right. And he says, as far as I'm concerned, I'm obeying God rather than man. That may cost you. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you employment. It may cost you financially. It may cost you in many ways. But are you willing to do it? Peter says, I don't care. I really don't care. I'm going to obey God rather than man. Elihu said in Job 32, verse 18, he says, for I am too full of words and my spirit compels me to speak. Wouldn't that be cool if that we could say that? I am just, I'm just so excited. i got so much to say. I, I just have to say something. I remember when I was a junior high teacher in, in uh, Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and uh, as a teacher, you know anything about junior hires is just nonstop. So the second week of school, I come in there and wrote on the board from one side to the other. Some people talk not because they have something to say, but because they have to say something. Some people just like to talk. <laughs> Don't talk while I'm talking. <laughs> That's my rule as a teacher. But some people just go 900 mile an hour saying nothing. They just got to blab. But the circumstance here is that they have so much to say about who God is, but what God has done. He says, I'm compelled to say something. In Jeremiah chapter 20, in verse 7 through 13, I just want to highlight one verse, but I want to read it, but I want to highlight one verse. In Jeremiah 20, verse 7, it says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily everyone mocks me let's get the pig let's get our world's tiniest violin out right here right you know feel sorry for him because everybody's picking on him everybody's mocking him everybody's making him feel bad and he's all upset because everyone's looking down on me he says for when i spoke i cried out i shouted violence and plunder because the word of the lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily he's saying lord because i'm because i'm standing up for what's right everybody's mocking me 
I don't know whether to feel sorry for them or to laugh at them, but you know, we, that's how we respond, right? We're, we're upset because they made fun of my faith. We're upset because they picked on me because I'm a Christian. Look what he says. Verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak of him anymore in his name. You, you see what he just did? I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. I'm not going to talk about God anymore. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because when I do, everyone picks on me. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. Anybody ever made that decision before? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That way nobody will say anything. But here's what he says. But. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. He said, even though I'm saying I'm not going to talk about God anymore, I'm just going to, I don't want to deal with people and their responses. I don't want to deal with them picking on me. I'm just not going to say anything. He goes, but I just can't. I got to speak. That's somebody who's been affected by God. That's somebody who's got a story of what God's done in their life. And then he goes on and says, fear is on every side. Yes. My acquaintances watch me for stumbling, saying perhaps he can be induced and prevail against him. will take revenge. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is what he says. The Lord is with me, he says, as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They'll not prevail. They'll be greatly ashamed. They'll not prosper. They'll be in everlasting confusion. They'll be forgotten. He comes to realize that this God that I serve is greater. And nothing's going to get me down. And then he ends that passage or that text of Scripture by saying, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for He has delivered me. When we put our faith and our trust in God and make a commitment to walk in obedience and to speak forth of who He is, He'll give us confidence. He'll give us what we need. He'll show himself strong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, So that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's somebody who has a story to tell, a testimony to give to those who need to hear it. So that fifth observation is that there was a commitment to continue speaking the truth. In verses 23 through 30, there's a sixth observation. So in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23, says, So when they were released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Master, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise the vain things? The, things of the, earth, the kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers that were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against you, holy servant of Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord... Take note of their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your word with all confidence. And while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders happen through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
There is praise and prayer to God. Praise because God was at work and prayer that He would continue to show Himself strong. Anytime you make a commitment to walk in obedience, God will work. He'll show Himself strong. And the reality here is that they lifted up their voices to God in one accord. I remember someone giving an illustration of this years ago, and they did it by using a stack of pencils. They took one pencil and they went, snapped it in half. So by yourself, just think of yourself as that one snap. But then they said, with the stack of pencils, much harder to break when you're surrounded with a bunch of people, a bunch of ones, right? Much stronger. When we're together, they came together and they proclaimed to the Lord and prayed to the Lord. They came together. Together we are stronger than when we're by ourselves. I personally believe that there's going to be coming a day in the near future that we're going to need each other even more. Anyone else sense that? We're going to need each other. I want you to know, you need something, call me. If you need help, I'll be there. But we need each other. And I think we're going to see the day coming even more so. We're going to see persecution. We're going to see results for taking a stand for following Jesus. I think those days are coming. I'm not afraid of it, but I think it's becoming a reality. And I think the more we band together and stick together and stand beside each other, the stronger we will be. And I think there's one final observation in verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed earnestly, now think about that, they did something to get this result. They prayed earnestly. It says, and when they had prayed earnestly, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with confidence. Two things happened. Number one, the place was shaken because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And number two, they spoke with confidence or boldness again. All this was a result of one key thing. They had been with Jesus. I think it's fair to say that if we're not with Jesus, we shouldn't expect to have the power of Jesus. If we're not with Jesus, we shouldn't expect to have the confidence of Jesus. If we're not with Jesus, we shouldn't expect that God's going to do something special in our life. All this is a result of having been with Jesus. And remember, just a reminder, every one of us has the ability to be with Jesus through His Word. And the more you're with Him, the more you spend time with Him, the more confidence and boldness you'll have and the more you're going to see God at work. And if we would come together to do that, even greater things, will, I believe, we'll see. These observations from this story I think are appropriate for every one of us to consider. Every one of us can put ourselves into this story. We're living in a day when it's not popular. In fact, so many of us, if we start talking about what Jesus did, they think you're just a little bit strange. So, do you believe God? Do you take His Word for what it is, truth? It should give us confidence and more boldness. 
But the one observation that stands out among all of them to me is that when they were with Peter and John, they knew that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Do people know that you've been with Jesus? I don't know about you, but my flesh is strong. My flesh is weak at times. There's times I open my mouth and say, why did I say that? That was not, that was not nice. That was, not, that was rude. I want to be someone, when people look at me, they say, he's been with Jesus. That's my desire. My stinking flesh gets in the way of that sometimes. But what about you and I together? When your name is mentioned in a sphere of people, a thought will come to people's heads, their minds. Might be jerk. Might be cool guy. Might be nice lady. Could be any number of things. But wouldn't it be cool if when your name was mentioned, it was obvious they'd been with Jesus? That's my desire. I hope it's yours. Because the more we're with Jesus, the more we're going to see him work. And the more boldness we'll have. I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your desire. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to all of our hearts this morning, Lord. This story, such a simple story of you doing an incredible healing work in the life of a man. And the result of it is that in this city, 5,000 people began to believe you were the talk of the town, caused unrest. People didn't know how to respond. <laughs> Lord, I pray that the one key factor in all this is that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that might be true of us. That when people see us, there's nothing special about us. We're, not, we're just ordinary people. No position, no power, no clout. Just everyday people who've been with Jesus. And because of it, we're seeing you do great things. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Might these observations ring true and relevant and practical in our lives. Lord God, would you do a work in our lives? God, would you work in my life? Help me to be that picture of someone who's been with Jesus. Help all of us, Lord, as a church, as we go about our business every day, as we go to our jobs, as we spend time with our family, friends, and relatives, as we talk to our neighbor next door, might they sense that we've been with Jesus. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment, no one's looking around, but every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard from God's Word. And maybe this morning you say, hey, I can relate to some of this. That's my desire. I want to be known as somebody who's been with Jesus. Maybe you're saying this morning, man, that's not me because I haven't spent much time with Jesus, but I need to. But for whatever reason, you say, Pastor Ken, God spoke to my heart this morning. Some things need to change. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, in the middle, in the front, in the sides, the back. Wherever you are, just if God has spoke to your heart, and challenge you from this text of Scripture, can I challenge you to just take a moment right there where you're at and pray? First of all, thank God that He spoke to you. That His Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, hey, these things need to be worked on. These, some, there's, these are some things that need to change. Maybe this morning you need to say, Lord, help me to spend time with you in your Word.
so that I can be obedient and have boldness. Maybe this morning you just simply need to say, hey, I need to start talking. I need to start letting others know I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. I'm not ashamed of knowing Jesus. And you pray for that boldness that He gives. And God's Word is full of verses that talk about that. Acts one eight, but you shall receive power. Second Timothy has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. He's given us what we need to do what He's asked us to do. Can I just challenge all of us, myself included, to just take a moment this morning and say, Lord, fill me with your power. Help me to be obedient. Help me to have spent time with you so that I can have the confidence that I need in the world that I live in. And can I just challenge all of us, every one of us in this room, as I said, they in one accord rejoiced and prayed. We need to come together. It's not them and them. It's not us and they. It's us. We're one family as a church. And we need to encourage and support and love one another. That takes some uh, commitment on some of our parts because we're kind of loners. Some of us are loners. But that's not the picture of what we see in Acts. We need each other. Let's all stand to our feet as we close. Lord God, I pray that you would help every one of us, Lord, who've raised our hand and our heart towards you this morning to learn from what we've read through this morning that the result of spending time with you, having been with Jesus, there will be boldness and confidence. Others will see it. And Lord, we need to be bold concerning what we know and what we've experienced and what you've done for us in our lives concerning salvation. So, Lord, would you work in our hearts to draw us closer to you? God, would you speak to each and every one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, God, that they would take another step in their walk with you and their obedience to you, Lord. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.